generations to come. Good afternoon. It's January 25th at 1.34 p.m. And welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room Podcast. I'm Bill Finley. I'll be your host today. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News and co-host the Down the Stretch Show along with Dave Johnson on Sirius XM Radio. I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports. You can probably tell I'm not in my usual location. I have no little sleeping dog behind me. I'm in a hotel room <laughs> just down the street from Gulfstream Park, where NBC will be televising the Pegasus World Cup and Pegasus World Cup turf on Saturday. I'm Zoe Cabin with XBTV First Racing and Santa Anita. I do have my dog who is disguised. He's blending in right there on the couch. He's absolutely exhausted. So he's going to be no help. And, and Randy, you look like you're suntanned already. Have you been to the beach already? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've been, I've been to the beach. I've, I've ridden bicycles on the beach. The things that you can't do in Minnesota where I live <laughs> with 15 inches of snow on the ground. Right. Well, Randy, enjoy the sunshine and enjoy what should be a really interesting day of racing Saturday at Gulfstream Park. And let's get right into that because, you know, this is what this is the biggest weekend of the year uh, thus far. And it's a different we're going to have Aiden Butler from uh, the Stronic Group on a little bit later. He's going to talk about in the Green Group uh, Guest of the Week segment. He's going to talk about the Pegasus World Cup. It's it's a different Pegasus World Cup than some of the ones we've seen in the past. Um, Obviously, there's no flight line. Not only is there no flight line, there's no arrogate. There's no gun runner. There's not that, you know, one to five superstar that everybody gets excited about seeing, but it is as deep a field as you can get, especially this time of year. 12 horses, you know, a wide open betting race. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm a little bit disappointed uh, that more owners didn't follow the lead of the Arrowgates uh, of the Gunrunners world. Why not run them one more time before you go off to stud? The only one that's doing it really is Cyberknife, and he's the morning line favorite in here. So, you know, the, the connections, Al Gold and, and Brad Cox, if, you know, they if he runs uh, his race, they're going to pick up the winner's share of a $3 million purse. Nothing lo- wrong with that. But I, I don't want to demean uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's going to be a great race and a great day of racing, Randy. And honestly, the only reason Cyberknife is in this race is because Flightline is not. If they had decided to give Flightline one more last hurrah, before going to stud, which after the Breeders' Cup Classic, as we talked about, what more is there left to prove? Even the $3 million purse of this race couldn't couldn't get Flightline here. But, you know, that's why Cyberknife is here. He deserves to be the favorite, I think. Uh, he and Proxy are the two best horses on paper. Post position could wind up having a say in this, though, because Cyberknife breaks from post position number 10. Uh, those who handicap know that Gulfstream Park at a mile and an eighth distance is a very short run into that first turn. So it's potentially fraught with peril for Florent Giroux and Cyberknife to get over and avoid losing ground. Whereas Proxy breaks from post position number one, which is a big advantage vis-a-vis Cyberknife in that spot. Those aren't the only two horses in the field, Zoe. They're the two favorites, but I think they're the two best horses on paper. They most definitely are. And I'm going to side with Proxy, mainly because of the drawer. And honestly, we all know that Florent Giroux is excellent out of the gate. That is one of his biggest traits that a lot of trainers go to is that Flo can go and he will be gunning out of the gate. I like Proxy on the inside. I've seen some video of him training in New Orleans. I'm, I'm pretty close with the Stidham camp, so I'm, I'm rooting for him anyway. Uh, and I love the fact we keep the Joel Rosario factor. We've, we've seen a few jockeys 
um, jumping ship, most notably Louis Sayers jumping ship off of our collector, a horse he's ridden seven times. Our collector, if he runs well, is likely to go to stud at Claiborne. Louis Sayers does jump on to get her number for trainer Peter Miller. And there was a really cool quote in the DRF quoting Kieran McLaughlin, who had to make this decision saying, um, I'm, I'm either jumping, making like a career best move I've ever made, or this is going to be the worst move I've ever made, basically, by taking off of Art Collector for Bill Mart and jumping on to get her number. But Art Collector could well be retired if he runs well. And he's not without a chance in here, although I, I just get the feeling he doesn't run his best races on the biggest days. Yeah, Randy, I'm I'm with you on, on the post positions here. I mean, I think that uh, Cyberknife is the best horse in the race, but... Uh, I'm not going to take a favorite from the 10 post and a mile and eighth at Gulfstream Park. It's not as bad as the 11 or 12, but it is a definite uh, detriment. And, you know, I kind of wish maybe someday they'd, they'd change the distance of this race, maybe to a mile and three sixteenths, which would, you know, negate that a little bit left. So I look at this thing as a total crapshoot. And uh, look, you know, I mean, you could pick any one of seven or eight horses in here and, and you know, you can't knock the pick. I'll go with Skippy Longstocking. Um, you know, the, the big race last time out in the Harlands Holiday, the prep for it, um, two of his last three races were very, very good. He won the West Virginia Derby. I uh, don't know what happened to him in the Pennsylvania Derby. But Randy, on the buyer numbers, which uh, you help uh, make, um, you know, the 106 in the Harlands Holiday, yeah, he doesn't have to run back to that. But that's even faster than Cyberknife's best race, which is 105. And he'll be a better price with Jose Ortiz aboard. But, you know, from a handicapping standpoint, um, I think it's e you either like um, Cyberknife and go with him. Or if you don't, geez, you know, just just throw, a, uh, you know, just throw the dart at the program page. Well, one of the fun things about handicapping, as you guys know, is that you can go point counterpoint on almost every horse, maybe sure. except flight line. He may be about the only horse you couldn't do that with. Right. So with Skippy Longstocking, he's coming off a big race. But can you really ignore the Pennsylvania Derby before that when he was running? against horses like Cyberknife's caliber and Taba's caliber and all that, because he had absolutely no excuse in that race. He was outrun from the time the horses got a furlong away from the starting gate until the finish. That's what bothers me uh, about Skippy Longstocking. Cyberknife, I think he's the best horse, but you've got the post position. Proxy, even from the rail, as you know, Zoe, because you're close with Mike Stidham, this horse had been very frustrating to Stidham. Because he has a world of talent, but in almost all of his races, he would be right there at about the half mile pole, ready to make a forward move. And instead, he would shift into reverse. And, and the riders would be niggling on him, trying to get him back into the race. And Proxy would be like, no, he'd go the other direction until about the 5 16 pole or the quarter pole. And then he would pick it up again and start running. The last race, the Clark that he won at Churchill Downs, was pretty much the only time in his recent form where he didn't pull those antics. Now, that was Joel Rosario and the connections with Proxy are hoping he's now more mentally mature and maybe Rosario made the difference, but we don't know. We don't know that Proxy's not going to go back to his old ways and is going to completely come off the bit at the half mile pole. So it makes it an interesting race, one of many. Mm -hmm. Well, if he does, it's, it's not going to work at Gulfstream Park, especially on a day like that. Um, the track is probably going to be very, very fast, very safe, of course, but... It'll be a quick track on that day. I did actually look up post positions trying to find a little bit of an edge. There have been no mile and eighth races run at Goldstream Park this entire meet. So the statistics are zero. 
zero for the meat. So I, I can't help you there either. I was hoping for perhaps, you know, the one hole is doing really great at Gulfstream going a mile and eight, but there haven't been any races run that far. Historically, the stats are pretty brutal at a mile and an eighth from post yes. nine out. Yes. So it, it has been overcome before. I think Gunrunner overcame Gun outside runner. post. And didn't Florence Big Brown Florence didn't Florence. Big Brown win from the parking lot in the Florida yeah. Derby a few, uh, several yeah. years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Post 12, I believe. Yeah. Right. So it can be done, but it certainly is a disadvantage. I mean, Florent Giroux could ride the race of his life and probably still would lose ground coming into that first turn. Okay. So that's the Pegasus World Cup. The prior race on the car, the 12th, is the Pegasus World Cup turf. And again, you know, it, it's it's a really interesting, really deep race. And again, it's good to see that all these races, these races have full fields. Both the World Cup turf and the World Cup have full fields of 12. Um, unlike Cyberknife, who is an obvious favorite, uh, I don't really know who would be the favorite. I guess Ivor probably will go off the favorite. If, if anybody disagrees, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, he has post 10, but the post positions aren't nearly as important in this because there's a much longer run uh, from the starting gate to the first turn. Um, a couple observations I want to make. I'm not going to pick it, but why is Lady Spitespear in here? A mayor running against boys. They have the exact, albeit for a little less money, but they have the exact same race. For the girls, um, does that mean Roger Atfield, the, tr the trainer, is super confident? Uh, perhaps. Um, but Ivor's a good horse. He's been uh, knocking on the door. Hasn't won in a while since his first start of 2022, July 9th. But it was running against really good horses. The Breeders' Cup Mile, the um, Turf Mile, the Coolmore Turf Mile, the Woodbine Mile, etc. I'm going to kind of go with a wise guy horse, Hurricane Dream in here for Grand Motion. First time um, in the U.S. And so uh, you need to someday you need to sit down with me and help me watch XBTV because I'm just still trying to learn and I don't have a good eye for this. But you see this work on January 22nd, uh, 58 breezing at Palmetto's. And he went in company with the other Grand Motion horse, uh, Speaking Scout. To my very uneducated eye, I thought Hurricane Dream was the better of the two, but I'd love to see what Mike Walsh and the rest of the clockers have to say about that. But again, you know, a very interesting race, very wide open, very good betting race. And uh, take it away, Randy Moss. Yeah, well, no, post position is not as important in this race as it is in the mile and eighth races on dirt, but it still can be significant. And the two best horses on paper in this race might be Ivar and City Man, and they're stuck in post 10 and 12 respectively. So I think it does turn this race into a crapshoot. You mentioned Lady Spike Spear. Uh, I think this has Chuck Fipke written all over it. Yes, Chuck sir. The owner of Lady Spike Spear, <laughs> and he's notorious for marching to the beat of his own drum. This looks much more like a Fipke move than it does a conservative Roger Atfield move. But even saying that, I mean, this filly stretched out in the Philly and Mare turf, the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare turf, was beaten a length and a half by Tuesday and in Italian. And that fig, that buyer fig of 103 is a legitimate 103. Did she get a pretty good trip? A perfect trip. She sat on the rail, in the pocket, tipped out when she needed to and ran well. But now she gets six pounds off of that, 118 instead of 124. I think she's right in there with a shot, even against the boys and not running against the Phillies and Mares. Other than that, Bill, I mean, it's, it's impossible almost. Right. Yeah. Maybe Zoe's got... Stroke of genius here, so I know uh, Christophe Clement was probably kicking buckets after the draw because both of his horses who ran first and second in the prep are drawn outside. I mean, Decorated Invader was just beat by City Man last time out. I love City Man on the outside with Joel Rosario. I think he's going to have to 
work out some kind of trip, but he's close. I mean, if you can be tactical, I'd much rather get an outside draw than an inside because he can break. This horse breaks pretty well anyway and just sit close. So I like City Man in here. I think he's in the form of his life right now. And I, I'm pinning all my Pegasus hopes on Joel Rosario. So, Joel, I hope you are listening. So, Bill, yeah. can I rule out about a 30 to 1 shot here? Go, go Do for it. it. If you go back, and in, in, if anyone has access to replays, uh, it, it, like on Formulator or replay purveyors or whatever, go back and look three races back at Speaking Scout and the Hawthorne Derby. That was a race in which Gray Emotion took blinkers off of this horse. Surely it didn't make that much of a difference. But this horse set the pocket until the top of the stretch, got through, cut the corner, and finished like a freaking wild horse in that race. He showed a turn of foot. I was like, wow, I just happened to watch that race just for the heck of it. Ah, I got time. I watched the Hawthorne Derby. And I was like, holy cow. Then he came back in his next start, the Twilight Derby at Santa Anita, chased a very slow pace, chased a really slow pace in the Hollywood Derby as well, and overcame it to win. The figs aren't there, but he's going to get some pace to run at in here for the first time in a while. And boy, does he have a nice turn of foot at the end. He's going to really be running, and he's going to be a big price, I think. I mean, Randy, I would never discourage anybody from uh, betting against a huge long shot. But I want to bring up one more point about these two grand motion horses, the, the jockeys. Hurricane Dream gets to Tory. Speaking Scout gets Paco Lopez. You got to think that Graham is going to put to Tory on the horse he thinks yeah. is the better of the two. And, and that I think it will be reflected in the odds as well. So anyways, a huge card Saturday at Gulfstream. We also have the Pegasus World Cup Philly and Mayor Turf. Uh, Channel Maker making his debut as a nine-year-old going in the um, McKnight Stakes earlier on the card. But Zoe, I know you want to talk about the feature Saturday at Santa Anita, which is the Las Virgins, for good reason. Really nice field. And um, I just uh, submitted my uh, Kentucky Oaks top 10 for the TDN. By the time you're watching this um, podcast, it'll be out in the paper. I put Justique as the third, my third ranked two, three-year-old filly in the country. And maybe I'll be moving her up after Saturday. We'll see. What do you think? I hope so. Just just don't watch her works is all I can say. It looks like we're going to have Phaser, Justique, Pride of the Nile, Uncontrollable, Satin Doll, and Broadway Girls. There is one work that stands out in Justique, and that was January the 2nd. Now, she missed her next start due she popped a temperature, and this is the race I've been pointing for. If you watch any of the other works, she looks like a $20,000 maiden claimer. And I'm not just saying that. I have it on good authority from trainer John Sheriffs because we laugh at this most mornings. I'm like, Justine looked good today. He's like, does she look like an allowance horse yet? I'm like, no, she doesn't. She she just doesn't put it forward in the morning, which is absolutely fine. Uh, she's yet to go two turns, so we'll see how she does. She's going to run against a grade one winner, albeit the grade one winner of the Starlet over at La Salle. That's Phaser. Uh, it looks like it will be a competitive race. I just hope the real Justique steps up and we'll see how she stretches around two turns. Who do you have one and two, Bill, in your Oaks top I I am never a wise guy in this. You know, people who do their derby rankings, some horse just broke their maiden by five lengths and they're number one. Um, I, I do it very – I rank it like if you were uh, uh, voting for the poll for the college football. Just okay. whoever is the best is number one. That's Wonder Wheel. I mean, I understand that Hoosier Philly has got all this hype behind her. 
But to me, I'm not going to put her number one over the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly winner. So, you know, it's very straightforward. Number one, Wonder Wheel. Number two, um, Hoosier Philly. Number three, Justique. Then kind of a, a gap back to four. I think those are uh, kind of you consider your big three at this point. But, um, you know, Justique has been very impressive and uh, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, that top three is a pretty strong group. The TDM Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Keeneland Sales and Keeneland Racing will be well represented at this week's Eclipse Awards. Listen to this. 13 graduates of Keeneland Sales are finalists for Eclipse Awards. There are 12 alumni of just the Keeneland September alone. They are two-year-old male, Cave Rock and Forte, two-year-old Philly, Wonder Wheel, three-year-old male, Epicenter, Three-year-old Philly, Nest. Older Dirt male, Life is Good and Olympiad. Older Dirt female, Malathat. Male sprinter, Elite Power and Jackie's Warrior. Female sprinter, Echo Zulu. Female turf, Regal Glory and Warlike Goddess. Guys, that is a huge, huge roster. Yeah, and you look at that list, not only are they going to have um, a bunch of uh, 13 graduates are among the finalists, looks to me like they're going to get six or seven Eclipse winners out of this, not just finalists. That, I mean, that's pretty much the cream of the cream for a lot of these divisions. It's good to shop at Keeneland. We'll be right back after these messages from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is a racing. This beating heart in the heart of horse country. Steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. Maximum security proves he's the real deal with a gate to wire win in the Florida Derby. Champion three-year-old. Maximum security has won the TBG.com Haskell Invitational. 11 triple digit bias. Maximum security. He smoked them in the cigar mile. Grade one winning four-year-old. Maximum security takes them all the way in the TBG Pacific Classic. Secure your mayor's future. Maximum security. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. Coolmore's Munnings had a sophomore stakes double at Laurel on Saturday with Prince of Jericho in the Spectacular Bid Stakes and L Street Lady in the Extra Heat Stakes. Munnings is the sire of three stakes winners and five stakes horses so far in 2023. No other sire has more. Justify had two winners over the weekend at Santa Anita, first with Hawker, who was very, very impressive on the turf course for familiar connections of John Sadler and West Point Thoroughbreds, Woodford Racing and Hironis Racing, and then Harlow Cap, who broke his maiden by four and a quarter lengths for Hall of Famer Bob Baffert. Well, I spent part of my week, uh, it's like Law and Order episodes, and uh, I've been doing a lot of this because of all the shenanigans going on in racing, but I spent part of last week on Thursday in a Manhattan courtroom watch the sentencing of a harness racing trainer by the name of Nick Surick in the long-going uh, scandal involving Jorge Navarro, Jason Service, and the rest. And I got to tell you, Randy and Zoe, if you guys ever break the law, you better hope you don't come before Judge Mary Kay Vysockel. She is one bad ass, I tell you. I kind of get a kick out of this. And you bring these guys in and look, you know, they've done terrible things. And, you know, drugging racehorses and endangering their lives. But you almost feel sorry for them because... She, just like she has with several other people, she just ripped Surik apart. 
She sentenced him to five years and two months, which is longer than Navarro got. But the whole situation was complicated by he was going to be somebody who was going to testify against uh, all the other people involved. He, as a matter of fact, he was ready to name names of other people that were, didn't come up in the indictments. However, the whole thing hit a snag when he claimed to have some evidence or he claimed that a veterinarian drugged a horse of his and the veterinarian proved that she couldn't have. So therefore, Surik's credibility as a witness went out the, the, the window. So, you know what? I sit there and I watch these things. We're almost done with this. We still have the uh, sentencing of Jason Service coming up. Looks like he's going to get four years. But, you know, I, I, I should be I guess I should try to be impartial as a journalist. But I got to tell you, when these when these bums come before this this judge and she just levels them into and sends them away to prison for a good long time, part of me just wants to get up there and cheer. You we'll know, cheer I, for you. Yeah. <laughs> not only would I not want to come before Judge Mary Kay if I had charges against me, I don't never even want to set foot in the Manhattan courtroom of the circuit, that, that district up there. It is one hardcore district to try to prove yourself in, I suppose. and. Uh, and obviously, these guys, we think they're getting what they deserve. But again, we want to be impartial and we'll see what uh, some of the other verdicts are coming up uh, specifically against service. Yeah. But, you know, and, and the story is that the government is undefeated, untied and unscored upon. I mean, they have won everything there is to win. Nobody's caught in any breaks. Nobody's been found innocent. And, you know, it just goes to show they did a really good job with this. You know, they, they covered all their bases. Every I was dotted every T across. And, you know, again, probably this is, there's a, probably a better time to have this conversation, but wish racing could have done this on its own and not have to have to rely on the FBI and government prosecutors, because, you know, we know for a long time that, you know, that drug testing is, is, is really not very effective. And, and when I say, we'll see what the verdict is for service, what I meant to say was, we'll see what the sentencing is for service, because he has already issued a guilty plea, right? Yeah. And, and Randy, some sadness, and I'm sure you agree with this. Um, Literally one of my favorite people I ever met in horse racing was trainer Howie Tesher. And, you know, covering racing in New York in the 90s and 80s, um, you know, he was just one, like, I, I'm having trouble describing this, but I think people that know Howie will know what I'm talking about. Most trainers are kind of one-dimensional to me. They're horse trainers. Howie wasn't a horse trainer. He was a guy that just happened to train horses. He was like your, your favorite uncle or something. And he was really one of the most genuinely nice funny, charming, sweet men uh, that you'd ever want to meet around the racetrack. I, I, I think Andy Serling put up on Twitter to know how he was to love him. And on top of that, he was an awfully good trainer. I mean, he trained Champagne for Ashley, Tennis Lark, Influent, won several grade one stakes races, many grade ones over his career. He was 87 years old. He had been suffering from dementia for quite some time. So it's sort of a sad ending to his life. But, uh, you know, I, I am not just saying this to say, say this because, uh, you know, somebody passed away really one of the best people you'd ever meet at a racetrack. Yeah, I first met him. I was covering the Florida Derby one year for a newspaper. It was the year that he won it with Bull and the Heather, who was a huge long shot, if I recall. And he didn't know me from Adam. And and I spent the weekend after that in Florida. And I went by and visited him at his barn. And it's just like you said, I mean, it was like he was my long lost uncle, right? I mean, just as kind and as much of a gentleman as you could ever get. And from that day on, every time I saw him, he seemed to remember me and he was always there with a smile and just, you know, really, really sad news, but a, a, a good life lived. Yeah, I'll give you a bull in the Heather story. And this is a true story. Um, my recollection um, back in that day, there was still the Flamingo 
And I believe he, I'm pretty sure he ran in the Flamingo after the Florida Derby and kind of stubbed his toe in second. I was going to pick Seahero to win the Kentucky Derby. I was all set to do it. How he got a hold of me, says, don't you do that. I'm going to win the Derby. Bull in the Heather, you can throw out his last race. He talked me off Seahero, which, you know, look, it's one thing to pick, you, you know, the two to one favorite to win the Kentucky. Sierra was what? 12, 13 to one. Thanks, Howie. You talked me <laughs> on the who um, you know, was kind of not one of the stronger Florida Derby horses ever to win. But yeah, that was one of my, the, the, I let Howie talk me off picking Sierra in, in the Kentucky Derby, but absolutely he, he will be missed. We've talked a little bit in past weeks about the Pennsylvania Stallion Series, $1 million. It's going to be expanded this summer to three different days of racing. Three for two-year-olds, three for two-year-old fillies race-wise. We'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But here's a reminder. March 31st is the deadline for $500 nominations for the Stallion Series for Pennsylvania Sired and Pennsylvania Bred two-year-olds. It goes up after that, so get your nominations in. Also, one side note, you know who else is a Pennsylvania Bred? Caravelle, the Eclipse Award nominee and the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint champion. We'll be right back after this message from the PHBA. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds. And we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. With over 500 clients in the horse business, they have proven strategies to save you taxes. Learn more about how they can help you at www.greengo.com. Welcome in now, the Green Group Guest of the Week. I'm sure it's a very busy week for Aiden Butler, the CEO of Racing for First Racing with the Pegasus World Cup coming up on Saturday. We welcome him now. Aiden, thanks for taking some time to join us. And let's start right off talking about the Pegasus. Kind of an unusual year. No superstars, I think, in the race, but a deep, talented field. But there are really no superstars out there because everybody retired at the end of last year. Good to see you, Bella. Good to see you, Zoe. No, I think we've got the best of what's out there. And I think it's, uh, talk about a competitive few races. So uh, I don't know how, I don't know if you're looking for something to bet, I don't know how deep or where you're going to go. But no, I think uh, from a competitive racing product, it doesn't get any better. I think it's the, I think personally, it's the most competitive Pegasus by far. I don't know what we do to beat this because to your point, you generally have a superstar or two that really lead the way. Um, if not from a winning perspective, from a betting perspective. But I think this is a really open field and I just can't wait to see how they go. Aiden, how proud have you been over the course of the Pegasus? Now, you weren't there for the inception, but the fact that this really has been a last stop shop for Stallions going to stud, life is good, Nick's go, City of Light, Gunrunner, Arrogate. Like this is, if someone wants to run their horse one more time, this is where they go. You, you and the team have to be super proud of that. Yeah, I think, look, I think, look, the race in itself, as we all know, because well, everyone watching this, I'm sure, understands. I mean, the, the Don Handicap was always a very good race, but I think by adding um, yeah, a little bit of the glitz and glamour and really making this an event, uh, it, it is so, I mean, I didn't start it. I've been a, a small cog in a, in a big machine here, but I think every year we've started, kept improving it. Um, and hopefully for those of you who can come, you'll see that there's a lot more offerings, 
not just from a racing product and a betting product perspective, but from a from an overall day out. I think this is going to be as good as it gets. So uh, fingers crossed. But no, we'd say um, it is a uh, it really is uh, a legitimate big day and big race on the calendar globally now. Um, it's been nicer to get a few more international runners. We had a had a, obviously for the turf race we had a couple of uh, European horses looking to come. Um, couple of reasons why they didn't. The primary one is it just is so expensive at the moment to move horses around. I think the quote was uh, close to $100,000 to get wow. on there and back, uh, which is ludicrous. I mean, historically, it's nowhere near that. Um, so we just decided to err on, the, err on the side of run with what we've got, and, and we've got some really nice horses in all the races, so uh, pretty positive. Yeah, I mean, I like what you said about the competitive nature of this field. I mean, if you don't like betting on this race, you don't like betting on horses, period. I, I was wondering, back before the Breeders' Cup or maybe sometime after, did anyone from First Racing Astronaut Group touch base with the flight line people and maybe get down on your hands and knees and say, please? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did that go down? Yeah, well, my, my I ruined two sets of trousers getting <laughs> on the ground to try and beg. Look, I know all of the owners really well, uh, particularly – Costa and Stephanie, uh, her owners. Um, it it just what it just wasn't in the cards. I think even and as, as sad as this would be, and I you know they didn't tell me this directly, but just insuring a horse of that value uh, for one more time, I don't think would have made sense. That horse did everything it was ever asked um, and deserved. Look, we selfishly, it's not my money, it's not my horse, and I've got plenty of horses who I would willingly run uh, another time. But it's um, selfishly, we all wanted to see it. And I think we're all allowed to be a little selfish because it's so seldom that a superstar of that quality comes around. But I think uh, for, you know, for the good of the horse and for, uh, you know, the good of, I mean, obviously, uh, West Point, the Horonises, they are some of the best owners and champions of our sport. Uh, mark my words, as you would all know. So I think keeping them happy, keeping them, you know, financially buoyant and excited and buy it's good in the long run. But there was a part of me that would have absolutely loved, although, you know, a one to nine, uh, a one to nine flight line running in the Pegasus maybe wouldn't have been such a good betting event. It would have been more spectacle than betting, you know, I've still got to pay the bills. Contrary to Twitter, I still have to try and make a little profit every now and then. Talking about paying the bills, it seems like fast racing has put the fun the F back in fun. Um, what's going on as we look forward to the Pegasus? What kind of fun events do you have on? It looks like you've put on a race for the Phillies as well on the grass. What can people look forward to? Because it's usually a massive spectacle. Yeah, so obviously the racing and the car has shaped up extremely well. Um, you know, even Phillies and Mares is looking good as well. The the Carousel Club handicaps shaping up nice. So from a betting perspective and from a just a racing spectacle perspective couldn't be happier um but as you quite rightly said zoe the party don't and the event doesn't just stop with the racing we have uh, some really cool artists playing a little bit out of my i say out of my generation uh even though i like to think of myself as a youngster i'm obviously not but kaigo is playing who's a huge uh international superstar dj a uh, one republic who i'm sure everybody would know about some amazing hits they're playing also each of the rooms has its own kind of uh, designated field. The uh, Flamingo Room's got a chap by the name of Brian Newman, who's actually Lady Gaga's band leader. And I think you may have seen him before play for us. So the guy is uh, spectacular. 
And then there's offerings in all of the other rooms, including the breezeway and the apron. So anyone who comes should have an amazing day. Um, I just wish we had a slightly bigger grandstand. I think I say this every year. If I could stretch the grandstand for this one day, uh, I'd be a little happier. But it is what it is. The We're completely sold out. Crikey, I I, I'm booking my ticket right now. I'm taking the week off. I'm coming I'm to the golf stream, all right? I have you a pin, don't worry. Sorry, don't worry. I got you, you a a groom's pin, so you might be able to come, and come and watch. I can leave one over. That's okay. No, I uh, no, I um, we're completely sold out from all of the all of the restaurant offerings, the carousel club, the tables. There's a few GA tickets left, um, and if it's anyone who's uh, a real a real horse fan and a big supporter, just shoot me a message on Twitter, and I'll see if I can find you anywhere to stand. But no, it's uh, couldn't get couldn't be, couldn't be more excited. We just. Uh, as I'm think, I'm sure you're all aware. Uh, these things are not without stresses. We had obviously a worry with the equine herpes outbreak that uh, happened the other day. We luckily, we, as as we do, we run five race tracks and two training centres, and this is a lot more common than I think the public or you know the racing fans would understand. So we've been here before and we've done this dance. Um, and with Dr. Benson, who's our chief veterinary officer, we locked that thing down like Fort Knox uh, immediately set up a full bio quarantine. And we did that well in advance of the state getting here. And when the state showed up, they were more than happy uh, for us to keep operating. And I think if you're ever going to get lucky with something like that, the uh, the distance between the the, the the barn that had the the uh, sick horse in and the rest of the thing is it's completely opposite sides of the racetrack. So we're quite comfortable. But that adds a level of stress. Um that you, you kind of don't need and of all days to all weeks for it to happen this week wasn't optimum but we've uh we've moved through that and we're feeling really confident and it's not just first racing but all of racing is embracing the concept of these huge days yeah. and you guys as much if not more so than, than everyone else um you know you've got pegasus world cup day fountain of youth day in and of itself has become a huge day um florida derby day as well um and of course you're doing the same thing at santa anita you know why are these working so well and and, and, you know, what is the future of this? Is this really the, what racing has discovered the public and the fans and the betters want? Well, and I, let me answer it a couple of ways, Bill. So as you're probably aware, we've done this thing called the first racing tour for this year where we've taken the marquee days, the two big tracks, so Santa Anita, or well, the three big tracks, Santa Anita, Goldstream and Pimlico, and then tried to loop together a level of experience that can be expected if you're showing up at the track. And, and look, I, like everybody else, is pretty much, um, I'd say, slightly depressed that racing isn't quite the the draw that it once was. And it doesn't matter what you say, if you're going to get fans back, you have to get them to the track. It's why we all fell in love with it. There is no feeling like the excitement of the horses coming past you, the buzz of the crowd. And I think for a while, um, like in a lot of other industries, it's a lot simpler to, to be digital. Uh, you can send the picture, you can bet on your app. That in itself, to me, is never going to grow the sport back. Do I think we're going to be 60,000 people on a Wednesday at Santa Anita? No, but we can at least put our best foot forward when it comes to our marquee days and try to appeal to a broader audience. We take it on, let's say, Pegasus, an example. We take that to the umph, you know, extreme. You know, it's a, it's a huge party and it's something that you don't see at racetracks, you know, anywhere really in the world, all of the big days. We we really emphasize that experience. But for the rest of the bigger days, Holy Ball, you know, the derbies, our derbies, and then culminating in the Preakness, we're uh, really trying to elevate that experience. And I think us, and I speak to all of the, the other operators, both big and small, 
And I think everybody has this understanding now that you have to, to compete from an experience or from an expert, you know, experiential standpoint and get people back to the sport. You've got to offer them something that is really unique. Um, um, the racing and the horses are about as unique as you get. So let's not let the side down with crappy food, uh, you know, bad hospitality and everything else. So we are got a little bit of catch up to do, I think maybe, uh, and never going to point a finger, but we may have been asleep at the wheel for a couple of decades, but we're coming back, we're coming with a strong finish. Aiden, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on this with you. We touched on it last week in our podcast. Uh, the headlines of Santa Anita and first racing leading the way with no equine fatalities on the main track. I can remember when you first walked into Santa Anita in 2019 and we're like, who's this guy He's supposed to come and save racing? Random, random English guy with yeah, a pirate voice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I got that a lot. Yeah. And you came in at the worst time. How proud are you and your team to actually have this out there and have it down on the books as one of the safest years in racing that California has seen in quite some time? Well, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't be prouder of the team, Zoe. And you saw how, how hard everybody worked and, you know, not only to have to try and right the ship after 19, but then to go straight into the pandemic and carry on that good work when all the, you know, the odds were stacked against us. Um, I don't take anything for granted and you can be unlucky. Um, I own a lot of horses. You guys are all, are all horsemen and women and you understand that things can go wrong and it's a high octane sport. So I'm not a... Resting on laurels in any uh, in any shape or form, but I think it proved that it can be safe, and it proved and, and it, this was an older mentality, you know, where where there's racing, there's going to be injuries, and that, that's true to a certain extent. But you don't have to put up with the magnitude um, and, and, and the issues that were happening. So going forward, um, more to come. I think you know, touching on Heiser, I think Heiser is going to carry on a lot of the good work that we started. Um, and again, it's not just, well, not just us. I think the industry rallied around. I think we set, maybe set the uh, charge on the dynamite to change a few things and had the battles that ensued with that. But um, going forward, I think it's a, it's a great outlook for the whole sport. Um, and I wish uh, I wouldn't, would never, even if I could, I wouldn't take a lot of the credit. It was such a team effort from not only the guys and gals at first racing, but all the way through to the, you know, the backside, the, you know, the horsemen, the owners, everybody rallied around to get that done. And you were there firsthand, my friend, so you know how, uh, well, both of you, so you know how, how much of a heavy lift it was. But it does uh, does make me smile. And uh, I think, you know, I, I did, although, it, it, like I said, hitting zero is very difficult to replicate. Um, I had the idea of potentially opening up the main track for a breeding operation to see if we could get the numbers to skew the other way, but no one fancied uh no one fancied breeding horses at the track. So no, we're uh, we're definitely in a good we're definitely uh, trending in the right direction and, and more to come. And I think look, as an industry, you're only as good as your weakest link. And I've said this many a time, and that's even internally at my company, you're only as good as the one thing that isn't up to up to par. So the better and the more even of a playing field the industry can get on, you're gonna see improvements across the board. Um, and, and even from transfer referring of horses where horses go. Uh, there's still a lot of battles to have, but I think uh, we're all going to be much better for it. And I think we can all, all of us, anyone watching this, anyone who's been involved, even on the periphery, can be proud that we're, uh, we're trending in the right direction. Like I said a little earlier, a couple, uh, couple of decades of things to fix, but we're going to be working our hardest to get them done.
And staying on the same subject, and I wrote the story on the TDN on, on exactly what we're talking about here. Um, you know, the question, what, what went right? What did you do? Most people point to these veterinary checks where basically these horses are going to be kept under a microscope. And if there's anything wrong with them, we're going to find it. You know, elaborate on a little bit on that. And do you agree? Has that been the main difference? I, I think there's been a lot of differences. That for sure was one of the, uh, one of the big ones. Knowing that not only people were watching, but those people learning and living and breathing the ecosystem and, and you know and, and the horses on the backside knowing when a horse moves funny knowing when a horse doesn't move funny and, and there may be a problem and i think that constant kind of uh, having constant visuals on all the animals out there has made such a big difference and but again it's only as good as the horsemen and women who will will be okay with you going in their barn and constantly jogging their horses and looking at them. I mean, I can't tell you the battles we had early on because that's just not how it was done. And there was never, and it was never meant to be a question of anybody's skills as a, you know, as a, as a trainer or as a veterinarian, it was just look, the more, the merrier, the more eyeballs, the more we can all concentrate on the, uh, you know, on how the horse is looking. This is a little inside baseball, but how many times have we seen an animal get injured and then the bloody rally cries, well, we all knew that horse looked a bit sore. And, and I'd love to, I'm not going to use the language, but I'm, I'm maybe a little, I'm, I'm sick of this shit. It's like, well, everybody knew and nobody reacted. Like, what the hell are we doing here? So to have now such talented vets has made a big difference, but it doesn't work without the buy-in from the, from the owners, trainers, horsemen, and everybody in between. Track, um, another one where I'm blessed to have, some of the, you know, the most talented track people out there and consistency, consistency, consistency. Don't push it. Yes, it is a business, but if I'm, we're not a hundred percent sure, I don't care. We're not running. There is nothing in me that will take a chance and they never did. And I think financially that wasn't an amazing look early on. Um, but we've proven that, you know, you'll get the fans back when they feel that you're doing things the right way. Um, and a myriad of other things in between those from vets track, um, everybody, outrider teams, you know, anybody who has anything to do with the horses being absolutely professional and knowing that the worst thing we can have is for one of our population to get injured. It sounds obvious, right? It sounds that like, of course, nobody wants these horses to get hurt. But having a little bit of, a, uh, would say, extra scrutiny and uh, not just glum faces, pretty angry faces when things go wrong has made a difference. So, but again, it was a takes a village and in this case, it took a small town, which was uh, Santa Anita, to, to, to have a run at it. So, again, couldn't be prouder, but couldn't be prouder of the team. Aiden, just on a, on a light note before we get done with you, you're a boots-on-the-ground guy. You're probably the most boots-on-the-ground COO, CEO that we've ever had here at Santa Anita. And you're a horse guy. How many yeah. horses, mules, donkeys, dogs... How many animals do you currently own? I know you've got your little farm down there in Florida. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a softy, right? So <laughs> I, I take all the waifs and strays. Um, I don't have them, as it's been said to me multiple times, I don't have many pretty ones, which, which <laughs> I'll be good with. But I, uh, at each of the tracks, well, at the moment, just at, the, at Santa Anita and, uh, and at Gulfstream Park, I have my own riding ponies there, so I can actually go out um, – and, and, you know, not only show my face, but go out and get involved and go and look at stuff. Plus, very therapeutic, difficult to get on Zoom calls and send emails when you're on the back of a back of a horse. Uh, obviously, I've still got one racehorse. 
34 Coupe, who's at San Anita, and he's racing on Friday. So get ready to fire there. Uh, <laughs> tough race. And then at my my own farm, which is the little bit of solace I get, because I, I do literally live at racetracks. So I've got a house at San Anita, and I'm constantly, if I'm not there at one of the other tracks, but primarily Gulfstream, I've got a... Draft mules, donkeys, ducks, ex racehorse. I've got, I've got a bit of a menagerie, uh, but I love them all. And it, it's, you know, I think it makes me a little better at my job that I don't just uh, put on a tie. Although I'm sure I should, because I'm looking at myself here. I look rough as hell. So maybe I need a haircut and a shave before Pegasus. But again, don't really care. I know what I do and I know how much I love our game. And uh, I've been in it my whole life. And so with my father, my grandfather, my uncle. So. Nothing's going to start how much I love it and how much I needed to improve and how much I wanted to improve. Um, and if the fact that I smell a little bit like horse crap uh, puts people off, well, then maybe I ain't the guy for you. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm definitely maybe a little too hands-on. I think when I got uh, got the job I'm in now, I had to learn to be a little bit better of a delegator because I've never seen a, never seen an issue that I didn't want to run into. But as you've seen, though, I've got great people on the team, um, Aaron Grider is amazing. He recently got promoted. Uh, he's now SVP of operations and having a chap that has that much, you know, experience, you know, not with the business side. I've got plenty of people in ties and, and jackets who can talk about business. I need people who really understand this game. Um, and if I think I've got an issue, he's the first one working one. He gets out there and he goes. And I think that gives us as a company a, a bit of a dynamic that not other, you know, not a lot of other people have got. I've got real, uh, real operators. So it's good. But again, yeah, probably a little too hands-on. We'll see. Aiden, before we let you go, I want to touch on another uh, Stronach track, the Maryland circuit. Um, a couple of years ago, we got what seemed to be very positive news. Maryland Stadium Authority stepped forward. There's going to be all this money was raised. Plans to rebuild both Pimico and Laurel. And seemingly since then, nothing has happened. So, you know, bring us up to speed. What's going on and why has there been sort of, you know, uh, apparently, you know, a roadblock to, to progress? Well, I, th I think the short answer is, uh, and again, really excited to see the potential of Maryland. It's, you know, it's one of the few states that really loves its racing and it's got such a steep history out there and the horsemen and women are great. I think the original plan when they were going to rebuild the tracks, um, because the way the world has gone, the numbers have gone through the roof. Everything they had planned for has exponentially got more expense expensive, which has meant we have to, be very thoughtful. The last thing we need is to go and spend a bunch of money, especially money that we might be getting from the state or rolling other monies forward and being backstopped back by the state. We've got to make sure we do it the right way. Um, and so I think luckily for us, the horsemen and women out there, uh, the state representatives, all of the horsemen bodies and all of the people on our side are being extremely thoughtful. Uh, I wish we could get going. I'd love, to, I'd love to see what a new bill, particularly Pimlico could do, because I think that's... Uh, a uh, really um, big opportunity to get the Preakness back to its former glory. But these things, unfortunately, take time. And um, it's such a vast amount of cash needed to invest in these places that um, everyone's being a little thoughtful. So there is going to be a lot more to come, Bill. Nothing's been, nothing's been shelved. And the quietness has been replaced with a lot of hard work from all sides of the Maryland, um, you know, all sides of the Maryland sport. So hopefully we'll have something to update you on soon. But um, we're still trying to move that forward. Okay, I sort of promise you that was the last question, and I lied because now I'm thinking of Maryland. And let's go back to last year where Rich Strike passed on the Preakness, a blow to the Preakness, no doubt about it. 
there were some rumblings behind the scenes that maybe uh, the Maryland Jockey Club would say, you know what, this two weeks thing is not working. We're going to, um, you know, rock the boat a little bit and put more time between the Derby and Preakness. Anything new on that? And I, I know the stake schedule is not out yet. I assume the 2023 Preakness will be run two weeks after the Kentucky yes. Derby. But what about going forward? Yeah, so there's, there's two trains of thought here, and everybody watching your podcast will know this. So, you know, it doesn't really need repeating. But the trains of thought are it was an absolute battle and test to be able to run back that quickly, point one. Point two, horses don't run back that quickly right. anymore. Okay, so you've got the two schools. But then we've also got partners, as much as everybody, I'm sure, thinks that we don't get along that well with Churchill or Naira, and it's a big competition. All of us have made a commitment to make the sport better, at least those two companies I've mentioned. So when we decide to do things, it's got to be done in partnership and in unison with both the other groups. The Triple Crown is such a special event um, that I feel for, for, for the Belmont. You know, a lot of the time they don't have a runner that's going to be a Triple Crown runner. So there was no there were no sour grapes that it passed up on the Preakness. But I think anything we do has got to be done in a really thoughtful way. Um, nothing's been decided. Nothing's going to change at the moment. And I think hopefully when and if something changes, um, it'll be done as an announcement mm -hmm. from the Triple Crown group as opposed to one track trying to do something for the betterment of themselves. Right. You know, I think we've learned going back to the earlier points that if you if you don't pay attention um, to the rest of the ecosystem, that's when stuff mm -hmm. silly, silly stuff happens. So I personally, um, I'm pretty pretty happy with where it's at. Uh, we've got internally, we've got some big debates that I've won a couple and lost a couple. Um, but I think at the moment, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater because for once in decades, a horse didn't run back into Preakness. You know, that would be it. Um, so I'm quite, I'm quite impressed how that horse has been running since. I mean, it's it's been actually going. I didn't think, uh, if you'd listen to my handicapping at that point, you'd have all lost money. But yeah, no, I think we're, um, we've still more to come on that, mate, I'm sure, but nothing. Well, we want to thank Aiden Butler from the Stronach Group and First Racing. Huge day of racing coming up this weekend, the Pegasus World Cup. Lots of insights as well from Aiden on what's going on at Santa Anita in Maryland. Aiden, thanks so much and have a great Pegasus Day. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Uh, be lucky, everyone. The Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. As this week's Guest of the Week, Aiden Butler will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. To learn more about The Green Group, go to greencode.com. We'll be right back after this message from The Green Group. Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Breads. Breed them. Raise them race them. We all win. 
Every weekend, of course, in this country, Kentucky Breads dominate the big stage. The big races this weekend is no different. Pegasus World Cup. Ten of the 12 are Kentucky Breads, including Cyberknife, making the final start of his career before he goes off to stud at Spinthrift Farm. In the Pegasus World Cup turf, seven of the 12 are Kentucky Breads. And in the Pegasus Philly and Mare turf, three were bred in the state of Kentucky. All right, I'm going to ask you guys a question. The record for most starters in any one year in the Kentucky Derby by a trainer is five. Todd Pletcher did it twice. Nick Zito has done it in Wayne Lucas. Randy and Zoe, what's the over-under on how many horses Brad Cox has in this year's Kentucky Derby? I'll set the over-under at five and a half. Go ahead, Zoe. What do you think? Seven. 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 No, I'm kidding. No, you, you, know what? No, you might not be wrong, Zoe. I'm going to say four. Okay, Randy? Three. Okay. A lot can, a lot can go wrong, obviously, between now and the first Saturday in May, you know? Yeah. Well, right now, everything is going right for Brad Cox, who has 11 horses among the uh, horses being offered in the Kentucky Derby Future Wager. Just amazing. I, you give me three, Randy. I'll pound the over all day long on that. But anyways, the latest one, no surprise here, Instant Coffee came back and won the LeCompte by two and a half lengths. Uh, you know, it was a very solid horse, has done a lot of good things for Brad Cox. I watched the race. It was, you know, neither blew me away nor it, nor was I discouraged by it. It was kind of, you know, just sort of went out and did, did his job one by two and a half lengths. But he's one of many of these Brad Cox horses. Also, uh, he's owned by uh, Al Gold's Gold Star Sable. And uh, he also had another horse by the name of Slip Mahoney broke his maiden on Saturday at Aqueduct. Um, you know, he's got a long way to go before he's considered a big derby prospect, but Gold told me that if the horse did win that race, they would look for a derby prep as well. So, uh, Randy, Instant Coffee and Brad Cox, tell us the rest of the story. Now, you know, everyone knew, I think most, you know, decent handicappers knew that the way he won the Kentucky Jockey Club, coming from well off the pace or three or four lengths off the pace, really, in a very slow-paced race to win anyway and running wide as well, that he was going to improve on that modest 82 buyer speed figure in that race. And he did. I mean, he gets a 92 buyer uh, for winning the LeCompte, which was solid. He had a nice pace set up in front of him, really only a two horse race. And he ran down two fills to win pretty convincingly. 92 buyer speed figure is obviously not going to cut it going forward. He's going to have to continue to progress, but I mean, who knows? He might. And that running style, when the pace gets fast, if it gets fast in the Kentucky Derby, can uh, can go a long way. Yeah, he had a great running style. I actually love the call from John Dooley as well. Instant coffee percolating to the lead. <laughs> Obviously, he had rehearsed that, but I thought that was very apropos for instant coffee. Uh, one note, Echo again pulled up uh, basically in the, at the top of the stretch under Tyler Gafflione. I reached out to assistant trainer Scott Blasey right after. They said he appears fine and was sending him for a battery of tests. I know that Gabby Gaudet had reported that Tyler Gaffleone said he locked his stifle and that's why he pulled him up. But he did walk off the track under his own steam, which is good news for the connections of Echo again. So this week, the big action in the Thoroughbred uh, set, the Thoroughbred three-year-old set will be the Southwest Stakes. And uh, this is something I think everybody's been looking forward to for quite some time, the return of Arabian Night who, uh, speaking of top 10 polls, he's number one in uh, our TDN uh, Derby Watch, uh, authored by uh, T.D. Thornton. And, uh, you know, 
this horse looks like every bit of a star in the making. $2.3 million two-year-old purchase for Bob Baffert and Amir Zadan. Goes out first time out November 5th at Keeneland. Couldn't have been more impressive. It's a 97 buyer figure as the heavy favorite. And uh, he's a very exciting horse. And, uh, you know, he could run through the, you know, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he kind of takes that American Pharaoh route to the Kentucky Derby, winning all these races in Arkansas and coming in um, as one of the top names, if not the top name in the Derby. I mean, he was that impressive. I know Forte is out there and some other really good horses. And again, Brad Cox, you guys are wrong. He's the old, bet the over on that number has three in here, including uh, JC's Road and Corona Bolt. And then a, a horse by the name of Hit Show. Uh, some very interesting horses in there. But Randy, what did you think of Arabian Night? And, and is, is he deserving of all this hype? Oh, visually, he was very impressive. By the numbers, he was very right. impressive. 97 buyer speed figure, which has been verified. Out of the eight horses that have come back to run again out of that maiden race at Keeneland on Breeders' Cup Day, six of them have come back and run a figure, buyer speed figure, either the same or higher than they got in that race. Determinedly was the runner-up. He's won twice since then. So it was a legitimate maiden win. Now, having said that, we've seen plenty of two-year-olds who have run big speed figures, including from the Bob Baffert barn, who didn't quite pan out going forward as top, top class three-year-olds. So we'll see about Arabian Night. He is not in a slam dunk spot in the Southwest. He deserves to be the favorite. But he's going to probably have to sit behind horses, which he didn't have to do at Keeneland. Um, he's got the Brad Cox uh, sprinter stretching out Corona Bolt, who is inside of him in post position number two. Uh, he's got Frosted Departure, who's got some sprint speed stretching out, who is right in front of him in post position number five. So it's going to look like a little different kind of race for Arabian Night. Uh, but who knows? Uh, based on his career debut, he may just be that good. He's an exciting prospect. And he's trained great. We've got several works for him on XBTV. His most recent working with Faustin, the impressive maiden winner, who's by Curlin out of Hard Not to Like. Um, he, he actually made him look quite ordinary working on the inside of him the other day. Bob schooled a bunch of his three-year-olds in the paddock the other day, even though they weren't going to run at Santa Anita. And Arabian Night was one of them. And I will tell you, he looks like a freaking beast. He came in, I'm like, oh, who is that? Hubba, hubba. And it was Arabian night. So Bob's got a great record as far as being on the lead. Bob's got such a good record of going to Oaklawn and having his horses show speed, especially with Johnny V. He's not conceding anything. Trust me, guys. It's going to be the California speed. He's either going to be hung free wide or he's going to be on the lead. Don't think that Bob Baffert's going to give up anything to some Midwest speed. So Arabian night probably is the best horse in the race. And it's doubtful that Johnny V will get dirty because if he's not on the lead, he's not going to be eating dirt. He'll be parked about three or four wide. You know, you know what's an interesting thing about this race uh, on that topic, all right? Now, this is a Kentucky Derby points race, right? 20 points to the winner, which is, is not insignificant, except horses trained by Bob Baffert cannot earn Kentucky Derby points. So other than the fact that the race is $750,000, there is, there is probably less to discourage Baffert from trying something out in the Southwest and seeing if the horse can rate because he's not going to get any points anyway. 
win or lose the Southwest. So that's just one little thing to keep in mind. I mean, Bob's going to try and raid a horse in a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar dollar race, a Grade Three, and test well, there's, it out. There's raiding and there's raiding. If Corona <laughs> Bolt beats him to the lead, right, and then they also go with McPeak's horse right inside of him, then does Johnny V decide, uh, do I want to get caught in a speed duel with Corona Bolt, who just ran his own 97 buyer speed figure in a sprint stakes at, uh, at the fairgrounds? Or do I want to just ease him back a little bit uh, like they did with American Pharaoh in the Arkansas Derby for the first time in his career? So it's just an interesting thought. Yeah. And speaking of Baffert, this new wrinkle has been thrown in. You mentioned Randy, while well, he won't be getting any derby points. Last year, um, the, the, the way to go was obvious. You could wait till the last set of preps because if you there, you know, run first, second, or third and in the San Diego Derby, Arkansas Derby, you'd have more than enough points to get into the Kentucky Derby. So he didn't have to turn his horses over to Tim Yachtin or whoever else was chosen to train them until that last set of preps. I don't know where this came from. Uh, Dave Grenning did a good reporting job to break this story that now they, they're informing Baffert that, that by February 28th, um, if these horses aren't transferred out of his barn by then, then they won't earn any derby points. So that that now he won't get in if he if, if Baffert is still the trainer of record of these horses in that um, penultimate set of preps, so that's San Felipe, the Rebel Stakes, whatnot, they won't earn points in that either. So it looks like uh, now he's still fighting in court, uh, which is a long shot to see if he can't get some of this overturned. Um, I don't really know where this came from or why. I don't know why they, the rules are different this year than they were last year. But um, as things stand now, we may see these horses in someone else's barn sooner than rather than later. Yeah, I know it's a cliche, but what Churchill Downs has done is known as moving the goalposts. Right. Uh, there is no love lost since there's still legal action going on and pretty bitter legal action between Baffert and Churchill Downs and their attorneys. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. They saw what happened last year and they're going to ensure it doesn't happen this year. It's as simple as that. Bob has no comment. I think they have a court date on February the 2nd and we'll know more after that. The TDM Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. The XBTV.com workout of the week is simplification. Seen working here at Goldstream Park in a minute and one fifth second, the trainer Antonio Sano. And yes, I said Goldstream. We have workouts at Goldstream and Santa Anita. So east to west, XBTV has it all. We'll be right back after this message. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point Thoroughbreds partnership can vault you right into the winner's circle for a fraction of the cost of trying to do it on your own. Learn more at westpointtb.com. West Point had a couple of nice winners over the weekend. Hawker, who we mentioned earlier, broke his maiden at Santa Anita on Saturday. Callie Gostro won second time out for Cherie DeVoe at the fairgrounds on Saturday. Best of luck to all West Point owners this weekend as they have decorated Invader running in the Pegasus turf and Jace's Road will take on Arabian Night in the Southwest. And this week's Remy Block cartoon, which runs in every Friday's TDN, is in. And 
he's picking up. We were talking about uh, my being in a courtroom last week. Well, Pegasus, the real Pegasus, the one with the big wings and everything, is in a courtroom and on the witness stand and appears that he's not happy that Gulfstream Park named the race after him, perhaps without compensating him. So uh, in the world in the world we live in now with lawsuits and branding and all that, uh, anything is possible. But Remy delivers another gem. Well, that's a wrap on this week's Thoroughbred Daily News Writer's Room podcast. I want to thank my crew, Randy Moss and Zoe Cabman, along with our Green Group guest of the week, Aiden Butler. Of course, we also want to thank our associate producer, Katie Petoniak, our producer, Patty Wolf, and our editors, Leo LaRocca, Anthony LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson. Have a great Pegasus weekend, everybody. We'll be back next week.